I had that glow. You know the one you have when you meet the love of your life at a wedding in Hawaii? And he wants to make you his forever. The one you have when you know that nothing can go wrong at 36. Well, it only took three little words to dim my light. I felt like I was jumped in a game, given these colors, the color pink. I soon learned there was nothing pretty in pink. Managing the ebbs and flows after a breast cancer diagnosis was never ending. Our life together was just beginning, but we had no future in sight. I'm now standing here in my chemo glow, willing to share my moments, because I soon learned that the glow doesn't define me. I define the glow. Hi, guys. Welcome to Chemo Glow. You know what I always say. The glow doesn't define me. I define the glow. Thank you for joining me for another podcast. If you guys are out there and you're watching us on YouTube or you're checking us out on Instagram, please make sure you let me know that you're there. So if you're on YouTube, I need you to hit that subscribe button right there. Subscribe so you know when we're coming up, you know our new videos, you know our podcast, and there's a lot more content on there. And if you guys are going to listen to us, again, we're on the Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you can find podcasts, we are there. And if we're live, we're on YouTube. I'm trying to figure out that thing that we call Twitter out there. Oh my goodness, technology, technology, technology. If you guys want to email me or you want to just go and look at chemoglow.com, our website, you will find our email address. But of course, I'm going to give it to you here, chemoglow at gmail.com. If you want to share your glow, just email me. When you're checking out our website, it has more information on there. It tells you about glow moments, past episodes, past lives, and how you can actually get on Chemo Glow. So please make sure that you subscribe. Have I said it enough? Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Please share, please follow, and please subscribe. Again, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We are on Twitter. Um, We're places that I forgot I actually put my podcast on. So you might catch us anywhere. So make sure you subscribe and check us out. Now... After I said subscribe, 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 I now want to talk about my guest today. Our podcast is called Facing Life Before Death. This wonderful woman that I met through the PFAC, I talk about it often at UNC Patient Family Advisory Council. I used to be the vice president there, and I was able to meet a lot of people, and I still sit on the board, but this one person she has always been like that person. She shares her glow. And every time we talk or we we come up with ideas, she's on. She's telling us about it. And we're actually coming up with something that she inspired. And I was leaving out of the PFAC as far as being in my position. And I actually stayed on to be a part of Jean's Bridge. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But right now, I want to bring my guest on. Jean, how you doing? Hey, Regina. <laughs> Thank thanks. you for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. It is um, actually a nice kind of warm day outside. And, and we're in the house actually doing a podcast. So I'm glad that you came on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, introduce yourself to my audience. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> I, um, I'm a wife, a mother, um, and uh, I don't like to say cancer survivor because I'm not surviving this. Mm-hmm. 
but um, I was diagnosed with cancer in 2002. And, um, you know, as with everybody else who goes with, through the uh, chemo and the surgery, thought that I had gotten through it and was done with it. And then in 2009, it came, it came back or it, it reappeared. And by this time it was metastatic. And I have been living with metastatic cancer for, you know, all these years. And it's been ups and downs. Uh, my cancer has been fairly slow growing, but in the recent months, it's gotten more aggressive. And I'm, I grew up with a mother who was very matter of fact about things. And from the time I was a little girl, she talked about, um, you know, death is part of life. Mm -hmm. And it, it's sad. You miss the people. That's, that's what hurts. But death itself isn't anything more than your body stops. Um, so that by the time I was dealing with the cancer being terminal, I was okay with it. You know, I wasn't ready to go right then. I'm not always ready to go right now. But it's just a part of life. And is, uh, go ahead. Is that why you started your blog? Um, I started the blog when I was first diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would be one of those good writers who would, you know, write everything. I found I had to find the humor in it. Mm-hmm more for other people than for myself that people got freaked out talking about cancer and um you know breast cancer and and the effects it has and all the stuff you go through and i was really didn't get a chance you know some people when they're diagnosed with cancers their friends you know surround them in the family and everybody's afraid and then you, you know, start doing better and everybody celebrates that. Well, when I, when I got breast cancer, everybody was like, yeah, everybody gets breast cancer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not that big a deal. And uh, so my husband was uh, working from home at the time. So he was there to take care of me. We didn't need, you know, people bringing over casseroles and, my youngest had just gone off to college, so we didn't have the kids at home. And it was, you know, I kept thinking, well, gee, you know, I'll get through this. And then when I was better is when I wanted the friends, the affirmation, and they were over it by then. Yeah. So I just went about being okay until... um the metastatic came in and that kind of threw me. But again, I'm not one to, um, I don't know. I don't want people to be upset. So when I write my blog, I tend to do it with a lot of humor. And but I got, well, I got very bad. I'm very lazy. So there. <laughs> but I have been reading it and I, And I had to stop reading it because uh, I wanted it to be fresh, right? Um, I wanted to not know everything, but I got hooked on your blog because you you just don't talk about cancer. You talk about your life. You talk about your husband. You talk about, you know, your family. So Journey with Jean um, is more than just a, a blog about uh, breast cancer and about metastatic breast cancer and the fact that you have to be um, humor. I like that you said that. And guys, if you hear us talking over each other, it's just because we have a little lag in our um, in our podcast. But keep listening because we have a lot to say. So, Jean, when you said people were over it, I'm glad you mentioned that. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, you when you're sick, 
you really don't want a lot of people, you know, around you who are all upset. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of nice not having to deal with other people. But when you start feeling better and you're feeling a little bit sorry for yourself, maybe you need to have a little pity party. Um, everybody else is like, well, you got through it and mm -hmm. it's, it's over with and you're fine. So uh, it's like, oh, okay. But what do you do with all these feelings that you're, you're dealing with? It's not, um, it's real hard unless you're one of those people who are really, um, from the beginning, have a lot of people around you and you're used to that or that's what brings you comfort. And I think that's a big part of it. People deal with things in different ways. Uh, some people make it their whole world and they mm -hmm. get involved with everything pink. <laughs> and, that, and that's great because we need those people out there, you know, starting the groups and uh, getting involved and pushing the world to be more aware of what's going on with cancer and, and that it's not a death blow anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are other people who want to forget about it. You know, they were diagnosed, they had their treatment, and they never want to hear the word cancer again. And I'm kind of in between, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm not like, I did get involved with a lot of the, the programs. Um, and for, for anybody out there newly diagnosed, there are tons of great programs out there. Uh, I went to a yoga retreat for breast cancer patients. Um, I know they have uh, fly fishing and all kinds of stuff. And it's really nice to, do something and, and be around other people in your same situation. But I also, you know, was okay by myself. And my husband was very supportive. Um, my kids were kind of like, um, we'll just go on as if everything's okay unless you tell us otherwise. And as a mother, you never want to tell them otherwise. And yeah. so I think I didn't share with them as much <laughs> as I could have or should have. And I have one who's, who's is stoic and kind of keeps things to himself. And I have a daughter who shares everything. <laughs> and she's like real matter of fact, she's like, you know, my mother and myself, she's very matter of fact about it. Mm -hmm. And she'll just ask questions and we're discussing funerals at the moment. And she's like, okay, what do I have to do? You know, and the biggest thing I'm afraid to tell her is she's going to have to write thank you notes. She's not going <laughs> to like that. <laughs> Righty, the thank you. So you're saying right now that you are discussing funerals. Yes. And with discussing funerals, um, you also told me that you had a deaf doula. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? All right. Um, I actually found out about this by reading a fiction book by Judy Picoult. Mm -hmm. And she takes up a lot of interesting topics that are out there today. And the topic of this one wasn't necessarily about death and about a death doula, but the person in the book was a death doula and it talked about what she did. And it just struck a chord with me because I have known for a long time, I want to get things in order before I die. I'm not cleaning the house. The kids can do that, but <laughs> I wanted all the paperwork there. So they knew where things are. I wanted them to know my my funeral plans, what I wanted. Um, I'll be buried in another state, so some of those plans need to be made in advance. So I I contacted one and found a, a really nice woman who uh, so far 
she's come over. She helped me find a house cleaner mm. to come clean the house, uh, trying to think ahead for my husband's care after I'm gone. Uh, we're working on legacy projects to leave, you know, to leave my kids and also practical plans. You know, I've already contacted the funeral home. We already have the plots. I already know what I want on the stone so that my kids who probably wouldn't be very good at this anyway, don't have to kind of flounder or get dealt uh, a double blow of quickly having to deal with all the issues and all the things involved in a funeral. It, it's a lot to talk about funerals, to talk about planning, to talk about even, you know, the care for your husband once you're gone. And I think with, um, Meeting you and talking to you and coming up with a, a program for people who are, like you said, you're living with cancer um, and making those plans are so important. And that's one of the reasons why um, UNC, the PFAC, um, listened to you when you said you you want to come up with something where people can talk to families their families can have a better understanding. And because you told me once you're gone, you're gone. Mm -hmm. And you're not sure what your kids are going to do with your pictures or with your antiques or the things that meant so much to you. So having the jeans bridge is what I'm talking about. Having this program be in honor of you because it is, um, and leaving a legacy. You talk about a legacy project. This is truly a legacy project. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're trying to accomplish with Jeansbridge? Well, I just realized before I got <clears throat> the scans back that showed my cancer was becoming more aggressive, I was still living in the state of, I knew, <clears throat> sorry, I was going to die from this. I wasn't going to survive it, whether it be in months or years, this was going to happen. And it was real hard because the family doesn't want to talk about it. Friends don't want to talk about it. Uh, your doctors don't want to talk about it. And I was feeling very lonely. And that's why the death doula was so attractive to me. It was somebody who would sit and openly talk with me about it um, and help talk to family members. Well, unfortunately, doulas are not supported by uh, insurance yet. And I'm thinking of there are a lot of people over at UNC who may be in my position. They're support groups for cancer survivors, but you don't want to walk into a support group with maybe some new people who've been um, given that diagnosis and say, all right, I want to talk about dying. Mm -hmm. We're not ready for that. Plus, not everyone's going to die from this. So I mentioned that to the PFAC that there needs to be some kind of program and, and educational pieces. And I also wanted the physicians to get a little education because it's their job is to help people live and survive. And when they get a patient who's not going to, they're either going to push real hard to try this or try that, or they're going to pull away. And I want to educate them to know how to talk to patients they can figure out if the patient wants to hear it or not, but to try and, and make it easy for them and make it easy for me. And, and I also, go ahead. No, and the, they didn't have that. There weren't really any books in the library. Um, people you talk to there, it's just, it was hard to find anybody that would sit down and talk to me. If you ask your doctor, you know, they're going to give you the longest um, 
what they think is going to be the best to make you feel good. So uh, when I mentioned it, I was surprised that it resonated with so many other people that I wasn't alone in thinking this. So the PFAC is looking at two uh, things here. One is a support group just for people who are comfortable with talking about dying. They don't have to be dying right away. They just want to come and talk to people and say, how are you going to deal with this? You know, uh, what can you do? The um, other idea is, is having books and having maybe some educational seminars from funeral home directors, mm-hmm. from uh, death doulas, from hospice, uh, from other people who are going through this and, you know, going to talk to family members, maybe have a seminar for family members on how to deal with your loved one who's dying and to say everything you want to say and say goodbye and maybe have programs for legacy, art, you know, art or writing or um even fun uh, outings, you know, it's kind of hard to go out with your friends who are all talking about, you know, yeah, you know, I'm going to go on a vacation to China mm-hmm. or we're going to do this or I've got plans. We're going to retire and move to this place. And that doesn't fit with you. You're not doing any of those things. Mm-hmm. And to be with people. And for me, humor is a big thing. And to make fun of what you don't like. So that, you know, I make jokes about dying and, and most people sit there with their eyes wide going, uh, <laughs> okay. But if you're well, talking to a bunch of people going through the same thing, they'll say, yeah, you know. They'll get it. They'll, yes. they'll understand it. And that humor, which people will find that is dark, um, they'll get it. Because some things that you want to say, if you were to say it to your to your loved ones and your friends, they will really look at you sideways. Yeah. But this is the truth in my humor as I express what I really going on. And I think that's what resonated with me because when my mother was um, dying of lung cancer, she was funny sometimes. Like I would never stay at home. Like I lived two and a half hours away. That was the home where um, my father had passed, my brother had passed, and now my mom was sick. And so um, when I stayed the night, the first night, I was in a room where she could see me. And she says, I must be dying if you're staying here. And (laughs) we both cracked up laughing. And I was like, wow. She said, I'm just saying, you don't stay in this house because you said death for a lot, you know, lies in this house. You don't stay here. Um, So Every when I said that to someone else, they was like, Oh, that's morbid. I was like, nah, that was my mom saying, I see you, and that was me saying that I'm here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I get your honesty, I get um how you're matter of fact about what's going on because you have to be, right? And yeah. it works if you've always been that way, it works. Um, so what are some things that you are looking forward to. A lot of people say that you can't look forward to things when you know what the end is going to bring, but what are you looking forward to? Well, I'd like to say I'm looking forward to, you know, my kids getting married and having grandchildren, but they're not interested in that. (laughs) So that's not going to happen. Um, Travel would be fun, but that we're not doing that. Uh, basically, uh, there's not a lot. This, to be perfectly honest, it's not a lot to look forward to right now. Mm-hmm. And part of that is COVID. Mm-hmm. Part of that is my husband's not well. So that basically we sit home and watch TV and thank goodness for Netflix and Amazon prime and YouTube. Uh, We have things to do, Mm -hmm. but it's not, 
I think one of the reasons that I'm, I wanted to plan my death is mm -hmm. there's not a lot I can do right now. Mm -hmm. And this gives, <laughs> gives me something to do. Yeah. But it also, I, I'm not saying I'm looking forward to dying. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to leave my family. I don't want them to hurt. You know, I, I don't want them to have all the effects that dying's going to give me. But it's also going to mean I don't need to worry about a lot of stuff anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I don't. Right now, I'm, you know, you got a house to take care of when little things break. You've got bills to pay, uh, taxes to do. Oh. Yeah, all these, it's not fun. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when you do that or in the past, yeah, but, you know, this summer we're going to go away to the beach or um, maybe we'll get another puppy. But we're not. And it's kind it's not you know people look at you like what are you talking suicide well suicide by disease in a way Ooh. um but it 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 does mean some of the burdens that i'm dealing with that give me a hard time i won't have those anymore and i'm trying to make it as easy on my family by getting things in order and taking care of things before that. But um, it's, it's not a horrible thought. I don't think so at all. Um, goodness, you just said something that was like so meaningful when you said, you know, it's not suicide, but suicide by disease. It takes something from you every day, every yeah. moment. Um, and what I find very interesting is someone like you who is making sure everybody else is taken care of. And that takes energy that you sometimes don't have. And making sure, like you said, you're putting everything in place and what you do, can, what you can control you try to control. However, having that peace when all those things no longer matter, but you don't want to leave your family. You don't want right. to see them hurting. You, you, you don't want them to see them look at you and, and know that the end is near, but you're also giving them this wonderful gift of making sure some things are put in place because that is so hard to do when you're grieving. And you're actually yeah. grieving now. It's a grieving process. People think people grieve before, you know, after they die. But actually, when you're diagnosed, you start grieving little things. And <clears throat> I was reading your blog and you talked about your doctor um, during the time when you were talking about COVID and whether to take a medication and you were very blunt in your blog when you were talking about, well, do I take this medication, sit at home, or do I, you know, go out, die of COVID? Like, the way you put it was so interesting to me. And I just wondered what your doctor's face looked like at the time when you were explaining it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I have, I have one doctor, my GP, who is, his goal is to cure us both my husband and myself. Uh -huh. And he's not going to be able to, but he wants to, and he's mm -hmm. trying these things and this medication and that therapy. Um, and I'll be honest, all my husband and I do to go out are to doctor's appointments. And we have at least once one every week and it's exhausting. Mm. And I, I, you know, He's a hard one to say, no, I don't want to do that, too. Um, I have a, my oncologist is uh, involved in some big research studies. So she's kind mm -hmm. of my backup person. And I'm seeing um, a fellow who works with her. And she's a little bit more open to talking about dying. Mm -hmm. But when you mention it, 
to them or you mention about not taking treatment, you know, they'll they'll talk about the palliative care, which I've also seen the doctors there, and then they step back. And it, when when the cancer got aggressive and, and the only treatment seemed like chemo, and I had decided a year ago that I was not going to do chemo. I was not going to do anything that made me sick. But my husband and children really wanted me to try to see if it would work. So I agreed to that, but I did tell the doctor, I said, I don't want anything that's going to give me diarrhea. Mm -hmm. You know, I can handle the nausea. I can handle losing my hair. I can mm -hmm. handle all of that. But having diarrhea, you know, <laughs> it's just one of the most uncomfortable things. And I just, I wasn't going to have it. Been there. Yes. Yep. Yes. So, so far the chemo hasn't made me too sick, but we, I go between skins. I, you'll, you'll probably remember this as you live between scans, mm. you have a scan and they tell you everything's going okay. And so you're fine for a week and then you start worrying, well, is it growing now? Mm. You know, what, what is my next scan? And next scan may not be for three to six months. Mm -hmm. And so you're living in the in-between a lot of times. Now, there are some people, and God bless them, who these women who get out there and they're going to take control and they get physically fit. They do all kinds of stuff. They have a bucket list and they try to do all their bucket lists um, and they have the energy and there are people like me who don't. And I'm envious of those women who can do that. But there are also women who get diagnosed and die three months later. Or women who have young children and, and have to sit and worry about leaving young children. So everybody kind of has their, their niche. Mm -hmm. And there's no right and there's no wrong. And so when I talk about being tired, and that, that's a big thing for me. I've been dealing with this almost 20 years. And I'm tired. I've had more shots in the behind where <laughs> the nurse's hands hurt from giving it to me. Mm -hmm. um, more, I still have a port. I've had more blood drawn. You know, more time sitting in waiting rooms or sitting in the, the exam room and having to go through, you know, the next new resident to tell them the story mm. and talking to your doctor. And, and when you say, I'm getting tired, you know, almost seeing disappointment on their face. Yeah. And I've, I've agreed to any study that they've had. I have a daughter, there are plenty of other women out there, anything I can do to further science, um, then, you know, I'm happy to get involved with. But you get to the end of it, you get to the point where you know that they're drawing straws and they're back to using treatment that you first had. Um, they went back at one point, they put me back on estrogen, which was kind of shocking. I and read that. Yeah. You know, that was a, a therapy that they found sometimes like, as she put it, you starve the cells for so long that when you feed them again, they burst. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I, but, I see. I seen that. Um, when you were talking to your doctor about that and you talk about, well, okay, now I'm going to go through hot flashes again. I, I, I got my period again. Oh my goodness. Are oh, you serious? It was oh, ah! it was horrible. And then they, when the cancer started growing again, they switched me immediately from that to tamoxifen. Mm. So here goes menopause number 49. <laughs> And they came with all the, I was, I'm 
would get mad at my husband for things that happened 40 years ago. You know, this little slide or mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> this thing that bothered me. And the poor man didn't know what to do. <laughs> I'd come after him. I said, do you remember that time when you did this? He said, you mean 40 years ago? I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the time. Oh, yeah. It was, I felt so bad for him. So that was another thing. I didn't want any more hormone therapy because it was sending me around where I didn't want to go. Yeah. But to to say that you're tired, when you say that, does your family now know what that means? They say they do. I don't think so. Okay. Um when my husband and I talked about it and he had agreed and you know, we no chemo nothing that's going to make me sick, that mm -hmm. we were good with everything. And as soon as the doctor mentioned chemo, Doug says, well, tell me more about that. <laughs> you know, and yeah. he, he got, my, my husband's first wife died of breast cancer. Mm. So he, you know, from the time I was diagnosed, it really hit him hard. And he, just feels like I, I should try, you know, I, I and we, we've kind of had a, a, a race to see who gets to die first. <laughs> it, it, it's like, well, I don't, I don't want to be left. So I mm -hmm. want to die first. And mm -hmm. he said, well, I'm older and I don't want to be left. <laughs> and then we figured it would be too much to the kids if we both died at the same time. So now it's, it was kind of a, a race. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, I can understand his point yeah. for himself because that's going to hurt him just as it's going to hurt me if, if I lose him. Yeah. But I've been doing this a long time. And, you know, for the family, they don't want you to go. They'll, yeah. they'll, their whole thing is we'll do anything just so that you're still here. And my kids, neither of them have significant others. Mm -hmm. So I'm the one that they call when they're upset. And it's real hard. You know, mm -hmm. my son will call up and just be down. And um, I've learned how to talk him, talk to him till he feels a little better. Yeah. And I'm thinking he doesn't have anybody to do that if I'm not here. My daughter straight out said, who am I going to call when you're dead? I go, well, I can train your father. He won't do a good job, but we can try. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard when you feel depended on. Mm -hmm. And I do right now. My, my husband needs me to do some things for him. He's had a couple of strokes. Um, my daughter is, you know, I don't know if it's the generation, but, you know, at her age, I had two children and a job and, mm -hmm. you know, a household. And um, she's got three cats and plays around with stuff. Yeah. You know, it's just a different, a different world. And, and they're young. They're young at their age. So it's just it's 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 interesting that you say that um even with um going through cancer, right? Um when you talk about God bless the ones that <laughs> that that uh you know they make that bucket list, they they exercise, they do things, and uh we we need them. <laughs> yes. We need those people who do those things. And it's just interesting how everybody decides how they're going to define your glow. Like, what are you going to do? And it is okay to say that you're tired. Yeah. And well, there are a lot of people out there. You know, it's it's great if you can do a bucket list. It's great if you can join a gym and maybe a climbing club or whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of women out there who don't have the extra money for those things, mm -hmm. whose medical bills 
are straining the family. Um, you know, people, everybody should have a chance to survive. Mm. You know, nobody should not be able to get treatment because they can't afford it. That's that's my political thing for the moment. But for those who, you know, some people, <clears throat> like there were times when, oh, I'd love to have a bucket list, you know, but I I'm, can't afford to fly off to here or there. Um, we always, my husband and I always talked of retiring to the mountains, mm -hmm. but when our health got bad, we had to be near a hospital. So there's a lot of reasons that, uh, some people have choices and some people don't. And getting tired is when there's really not a lot left that you can think you can do. You know, if I had grandchildren, maybe I'd feel different. Mm -hmm. I'd want every minute to watch them grow up. Um, but I guess I just, I feel like I've done everything in life that I can, that I'm able to. Mm -hmm. And dying is just the next step. Well, let me tell you that the fact that you got the ball rolling with Jeans Bridge, that UNC is champion. That is going to do so much for families, for loved ones, for people who are going through it to be okay that I'm tired or I want to make this bucket list or I want to live my life out like this. Maybe it won't kill me today, but um, I have 20 years of this. Or do I want 20 years? Can I have these choices? Can I have these conversations that will inspire other people to live the way they want to live. And I just think that is just so awesome. And so you do it so gracefully, but you do it so matter of factly that I, I love it. Well, I wouldn't call it gracefully. Oh, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's in the way you do it. It's like, this is it. This is what needs to be done. But the way you do it, people listen. Like when I tell you I was um, out the door of PFAC and it was my last, I was giving my goodbye speech for, um, um, you know, for the vice president. And there was one other program they wanted me to, to work on. But I was like, oh, I am championing this as soon as you started talking about it. I don't know where we're going or how we want to do it, but I just want to see it through. And so you lit a fire under me and it was how you just came in and you shared your story. You shared your truth. Yeah. 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 I, I, to me, the fact that it resonated with so many people and that, you know, it's something that, you know, it's, it wasn't just me. And even to get people who are not, you know, who, who have cancer or had cancer and they may have another 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, but to think a little bit about it and what they want to plan and what control they want to have and talking to families, making programs for families to try and understand, and for doctors, you know, to make them understand that sometimes enough is enough. Yeah. And for people who, you know, I, I had a friend who had metastatic cancer and she had two daughters in high school and a partner, and she wanted to live. 
she had a lot. She wanted to see her girls graduate and, and go on to college and maybe into relationships. And she would go for alternative treatments. She, she used to fly up to Chicago and have some heavy, heavy core treatment that would make her sick for days and spend the money to fly up and back and all this stuff. And, you know, I respected her for that. You know, she was going to do everything. Well, she mm -hmm. didn't make it. And it hurt me. It hurt me that, that she tried so hard, was so sick for so long, and died. Yeah. And here, I, I'm not hurting. I wasn't, you know, really in treatment too much at that point, And I was still living. And I wish we could choose, you know, like I'll take the place of some young mother who was just diagnosed with stage four, you know, cancer. I'd be happy to take their place. Mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest thing for me besides children is mothers of young children. I, I can't imagine having to say goodbye to a, to a child. So everybody has what's most important to them. Yeah. And then you get to a point where, you know, I'm content. I'm happy. Uh, my mother died of dementia and I knew she would not like being the way she was. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there were good times with her. She, she wasn't really lucid a lot of the times, but she was in an interesting world and she just kind of share it with me. Mm -hmm. um, and when she died, yeah, I was sad. You know, you lose your mother, but I knew she was ready. She'd had a nice long life. Um, I won't have that long a life. Both my grandmothers were near a hundred, and I'm in my sixties, and I'll I'll not see seventy. And um, you know, that's cool. That's that's neat that they they had that longevity and were pretty independent for a good bit of it um and it's it's just so individual i i i believe in doctor assisted euthanasia mm -hmm. when the person is uh, lucid and can make the decision but it's also not for everybody and it wouldn't be, mm -hmm. you know, it's not one of those things where you can get rid of grandma, Yeah. but for the patient to have control over that and say, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I've done everything. There's nothing else right now. And I'm ready. And the, the expenses, what, what is being, well, this is just getting into, you know, the practical areas. <laughs> the the like practical area, but like that's the grace I'm talking about when you talk about putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Me being, a, I have young kids. I have, I want to see them grow up. I just, I wouldn't call it celebrating at 11 years um, on the 19th. But I was in a place where I was like, the good, the bad, and ugly of this thing that we call cancer, the fact that I have to call my doctor and say, hey, what we did didn't work, and this is still going on, and now it's time to do something else. Like, there's that good, that bad, and that ugly. And the good, most people know about, right? The bad, people are like, oh, she's going through. But that ugly, they couldn't stomach if they tried. Yep. So, Jean, I want to thank you for your honesty. I want to thank you for coming on and sharing. Is there anything else you would like to share with our audience before we sign off here? Um, just to, everybody's got to make their own decision. And you got to consider family, but in the end, it's you. Hmm. The image, I'm... I'm honored or 
um, touched that they wanted to name it Jean's Bridge, but it's mm -hmm. a little embarrassing, you know, like maybe they should have waited till it was gone or something. <laughs> but, but my image of it is like, we talk about a bridge and, and one side you have your support system, your family, but in the end you have to walk alone mm -hmm. and whatever the, the end of the bridge is, you know, I've decided that nobody really knows. I mean, mm -hmm. th there are people who, who have a lot of faith and, and believe what, you know, what heaven may look like or those who believe in reincarnation or all the different ideas people have, but nobody's come back to tell us what it actually is. Yes. So I decided then I can believe whatever I want to believe because if there's nothing at the end, it doesn't matter. I've just, just you know, came up with a, a different idea. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think of what I want it to be after death. And uh, I haven't figured it out yet. Well, I, I know that it's a little embarrassing. That, and you mentioned that with uh, Jean's Bridge. Um, but when you started telling us what the image looked like, it started to make sense to me. It is coming together. And at the end, you are walking alone. Yeah. Even with all the things that you have going on and the people who surround you and who, who want to see you well. So I want to thank you again, Jean, for joining me. Oh, for, thank you uh, for sharing. having me. You're welcome sharing everything about <clears throat> what's going on with you and sharing the truth. And then guys, um, if you want to, to learn a little bit more about Jean and her journey through the world of metastatic breast cancer, facing life before death, that's what, that's how I came up with the actual, um, name of the podcast. So Jean, I want to thank you so much. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to put you in the background, but don't go anywhere. I'm going to close out the show right quick. But thank you, Jean, again, for being on Chemo Glow. Thank you. Well, guys. Wow. Jean doesn't know it, but she's very special to me. And I thank you guys for joining us for Facing Life before death with Jean. Remember that the glow doesn't define me. I define the glow. And Jean is definitely defining her glow and taking control of the things that she can. So until next time, I'll talk to you later. Peace.